Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hi, Ashley. Hello, Candy. We're back again for our final episode of Monster Madness. I know. I'm excited, but we're cheating a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, instead of talking about an actual monster, We're going to be talking about some general things yeah. that scare us. Yeah, I know. I've already seen a little, <laughs> a, little, a little preview of this. So you want me to tell them what yeah, happened? Yeah, tell them what So happened. Candy and I share a Google Doc. And she will sometimes, well, she always does. She puts our sources and the photos and everything for the Google Doc for me to use when I do the show notes and whatnot. And I try not to look at it just in case she goes ahead and puts something in there that I'm not supposed to see. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew we were going to do general fear, general monsters for this last episode. So when I went to open it for doing Godzilla notes, she already had the notes. She already had the sources in there for this one. And the top photograph, I was like, oh my gosh, it just really startled me. I was not expecting that to be one of the things that you were going to talk about. So I had a nice little fright. Yes. It was it was a great picture. It was we'll a put that real, picture in yeah. our show notes so they can check yeah. it out. I had to text her and be like, really? <laughs> It was funny. It was. I was in the middle of a store and then suddenly <laughs> I was like, I get this text that says, really? Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for that. <laughs> well, so so back to our point, we're really focusing in on general scary things, uh-huh. scary elements in horror movies, basically kind of monsters of our own making, sure. if you want to call it that. So what are a few of those for you? So I was trying to, and honestly, if you don't want to say what the photo is of yet, that those do not scare me. Okay. It was just a real creepy photo. It is a creepy it photo. It was just super when, creepy. When we get to that point, we'll yeah. tell them what it was. I was just like, whoa, that's not something I was expecting. So I'm not afraid of spiders. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of snakes, although, you know, rattlesnakes, of course. But mm-hmm. if I see a snake in a garden, I'm not going to be spooked. Mice give me a little bit like a, oh, like a fright, but I'm not afraid of them. Mm-hmm. Um... I think I, I don't like the dark okay, because I'm nearsighted. So in the dark, it's usually I have my contacts out. I can't see. Mm-hmm. So that's frightening to me. I don't like heights. Mm-hmm. As my cousin who has been with me on the, the sky lift thing in Gatlinburg, she talked me into going mm-hmm. on that once. I said unsavory words to her the whole time. <laughs> and then I also was talked into doing the Skyliner once at Disney World. And I was not in a good place. And me and the other guy, there was a random dude. We were both in the same mental state. They're like, uh-huh. whoa, I don't mind airplanes because that's too high to do anything about it. Right. Like if, if I fall, it's it's over anyway. But when it's just high enough that mm-hmm. it can, I can, yeah, don't like that. Um, yeah. Let's take it to the movies. Do, do those yes. things translate into movies? Like if you're afraid of the dark, I mean, not afraid of it, but if the dark kind of bothers you a little yeah. bit, does darkness in a movie also yes. cause you to react the same way? Darkness in a movie, if I can't see what's happening, uh, a quiet place, mm-hmm. that made me very, very nervous. Tense. Very tense. Yes. Yeah. I didn't like that. I didn't like, um, I guess the heights wouldn't necessarily bother translate. me. Although I have not watched that movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt where he, he walks between buildings because I thought, 
uh, I don't know that I can handle that. Okay. So I couldn't tell you. Didn't see it. Yeah. I think one of the ones for me in a movie is, I don't know why this bugs me, but I hate seeing a face looking in through a window that like... Like, mm-hmm. you'll see the mm-hmm. protagonist or some person in the movie walking around, and you'll see this... Third person? Yes, this that idea of being watched yeah. or having a threat right there, yeah. and you're not aware of it. Yeah. Somehow that bugs me. And then, of course, the startle effect of when yes. they see them. That always gets me. The jump me. scare. Yes, it gets me scare. every time. So I think that's one of mine in a movie. But this is actually a really good segue, because I went down so many rabbit trails I bet during you did. this episode. I had so much fun. <laughs> I I hope that it's as fun for our listeners as it was for me. But I came across this 2014 Psychology Today article that identified the top 10 things that make horror movies scary. Now, a lot of them are fears. And so you've already identified one. Number two was the darkness. Mm -hmm. That is one thing that they say makes... You can't see. Mm -hmm. And they give the psychology behind it. So they say that from our earliest childhood years, we've been afraid of the dark, not the dark itself, but what it hides. And so they talked about... They use it in horror movies, but then they you can make it even scarier because you're watching it in a dark room or you're mm-hmm. watching it in a dark theater. Mm-hmm. That all adds to that feeling. So do you want to guess a couple of the other top 10 elements of a scary movie or do you want me to just read it and tell you? Hmm. Okay. Top 10 elements of a scary movie? Things that make <gasps> horror movies scary. Yes. The music? Is that on there? That didn't make the... Oh, yes, it did. It's number eight. Spooky music. And I feel like s- I'm playing Family Feud now. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> They said music can create moods and elicit emotions. Yeah, it can. And this, actually in horror movies, it accentuates the actions seen on screen, intensifying feelings of suspense and shock. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yes. Good. Does it qual? if you say gore, does that qualify if it's like bloody? Uh, what would cause the gore? Knives. Knives. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Knives. So one of... Weapons. Dismemberment. Dismemberment. Is Ew. one of them. Yeah, that'll do it. And the psychology behind it, they say, is that fear of dismemberment involves loss of a part of yourself. Yeah. So that's why they say, and I will never watch this franchise, but they say that's part of what makes the Saw movie franchise I saw so the first disturbing. One. Oh, yeah. I, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't no. want that. Brian likes some of the scary stuff. I saw the first one. I was like, oh, never again. Yeah. No, thank you. All right. So what else can knives do? They could not just dismember you. They Stay could, stab. They could kill you. Yeah. Right? So fear of death is number one. Oh, sure. So the psychology is this is the ultimate fear, both existentially and psychologically. And they go on to comment, it isn't really a horror movie if somebody doesn't get killed. That's true. Okay. What else? Mm, give me a clue. You started with it. You said, I'm not afraid of spiders or snakes. Oh, I guess creatures then? So creepy crawly things. Creepy crawly things. And Yes. That's small creepy crawly things. So you get some giant creepy crawly thing like a bear, I'm going to be nervous. That's interesting. I mean, I'm going to be terrified of a bear. Sure. But there's something psychologically about, I can't do, I can't do a snake. I'm not, I don't Uh, want to, I don't want to even see it. Yeah, my mom can't do those either. But Mm -mm. you know what? I don't like ticks. Ooh. I don't like ticks. I don't like them. They Mm -hmm. can make us very sick. You're so practical with your fears. (laughs) Sorry. Like, I'm not going practical. All these things can kill and hurt me. (laughs) I'm scared of Lyme disease. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, um, those ticks, actually. (laughs) Except for the one tick. He's a superhero. He's pretty nice. (laughs) We're going to create a horror movie with ticks. One of the the elements. Oh, that's funny. But... 
So they comment that not only do we have phobias, and this can be something, of course, that they key into in their horror movie, they amplify these Uh common phobias, but also it appeals to your sense of touch. You know, you're thinking about the darkness and that... that, Something crawling on you. Yeah, and it just gets you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mosquitoes. Yeah. You tell me, you keep guessing, or you can tell me if you want me to just fill in the rest. Hmm, I like the clues. This is fun. Okay. Let's see. Where do a lot of horror movies take place? The woods. Scary places. Scary places. Is one of them. A That's haunted mansion. Yeah. Woods. You and your haunted mansion that you went to. <laughs> yes. Graveyards. <laughs> Graveyards. Yes. Ah, no. Dungeons, attics, basements. I loved. I loved the psychology. They said these are not only dark places, but these are places where you think of evil could hide there. Yeah. I bet there's a tick down in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> a large tick. A large tick. <laughs> I'm not sure you're going to get the rest of these. Okay. They're kind of tricky. So right. we've already gone through the first four. Number five is disfigurement. And they actually... Like being burned? Yes. They yeah. said that many horror movies feature grotesquely disfigured antagonists. And oh, yeah. they mentioned Frankenstein as an example of that, yeah. along with zombies and the Phantom of the Opera. And yeah. they say studies in early development have found that young infants will react with fear to asymmetrical or disordered faces oh so it's a deep psychology it is a deep psychology yeah we hit number six number seven you wouldn't have guessed because it seems kind of i don't know this seems kind of obvious suspense anticipation and expectations that's what the horror film is. right that's what it is exactly they said the best horror movies are full of suspense think alfred hitchcock yep i was thinking of him but then they go on to comment suspense involves creating anticipation that something bad will happen but not knowing when it will occur Mm -hmm. and they say some of the most shocking horror movie scenes are when they create the anticipation but violate the audience's expectations so for example they kill the hero or the killer is the one the audience least expects so that's Ah. kind of that Psycho element. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They killed the hero, Psycho. Yeah. You got number eight. So number nine is lightning and thunder. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. Those, we had a day a few days ago that was pretty scary. Mm -hmm. You know, the high wind kind of sets the mood yeah yeah they said many people are afraid of lightning and thunder sudden flashes of light that can kill sudden deafening sounds. i'm not afraid of thunder but i would be a little nervous about lightning i don't want to be i don't want to be near a window i don't want to be in the shower when it's lightning don't want to be on the phone on the computer Mm -hmm. i've seen stuff where it can come through yeah no. Yeah. Well, they said it also can cause the startle response because of the loud noises and the flashing lights. So that's another thing that'll put you on edge. Yeah. Some people go to sleep to lightning and thunder. Honestly, I like a storm if I'm going, you know, if I'm trying to go to sleep. But or if it's I'm a good, nice, a book. gentle storm, but not a, not one of these terrors. No, that's not good. But I go back to our previous point. I think what is occurring in my real life is different than what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because I do agree that I can like it in real life and it can lull me to sleep. Mm-hmm. But in that movie, it mm-hmm. does make me more... More mm-hmm. tense mm-hmm. you know it's got me on edge the last one is not one you would have been able to get either but i really liked this one fear of the unusual mm. They said, we know young children are often afraid of things that are different or unusual, and highly unusual looking things are often sources of fear. Is this like the clowns? Yes. Ah. They said a common theme in horror movies is to take something that is normally not scary, like a doll, a child, or a clown, and make it into a feared object. Mm -hmm. In other words, make the usual unusual. Unusual. Okay. And their last comment there was, this may help explain the growing number number of people who confess to a fear of clowns and dolls. Mm -hmm. 
Guess what we're talking about today, guys? The fear or the use of clowns and dolls to elevate that, that sense of horror in yes. scary movies. So there we go. There's They're all turning it off now. So now you can tell them what the picture was that you saw. It was, what was her name? Annabelle? Annabelle. The doll Annabelle. And it just, I saw her in a little thumbnail and I clicked on it. I was like, whoa, because I've not seen that movie. <laughs> I thought, who is this? What is she doing? Why? <laughs> yeah. So, but dolls don't bother you. Like, no. okay. No. Do you know? But I also haven't seen Annabelle, so. And there there have been some things I've seen on TV, TV shows, movies, whatever, where I'm not afraid of dolls, mm-hmm. just in my normal life, of course. Mm-hmm. But the use of the dolls in those works have definitely gotten to me. Like, mm-hmm. they were very creepy. And I have a little story to tell on us. Back what? when we did the Conrad Caldwell tour, yeah. it was such a beautiful place. Yeah. Just gorgeous. We walked into one bedroom. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the child who stayed Grace, in that room. Maybe? maybe it was. Okay. And they had set up this doll in the room to kind of, you know, make it look the way it would have looked when Grace lived there. And we walked in that room and we're kind of like, ugh. I mean, <laughs> that doll looked creepy. It was dark and just lit by candlelight, though. <laughs> it's like it's like in its little crib, like yeah. looking out at us. And I mean, I registered. <laughs> that is a creepy doll. <laughs> And I took We're a picture sorry. of it. I took a picture of it, okay. and it's going to be in our show notes. Okay. Yes. But with the vacant stare. It was. So, <laughs> and my grandma had a creepy doll. Mm. She called it Mary Dorcas. Mary Dorcas? Mary Dorcas. She named, well, see, I, my grandma had a whole room full of dolls. Oh. She had, she collected, my grandpa got her a bunch of dolls. And it didn't bother me because I grew up with it. Mm-hmm. I was used to it. But other people who would go into her bedroom would be like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> this is a lot of dolls. And it was. Yeah. But it was a thing with like the depression where she didn't have mm. stuff. So he mm-hmm. was making it up to her and he just went over and beyond what what you should have. There was dolls every, ev- literally everywhere in her bedroom. Which you bring another point up: the fact that people collect them. I mean, yeah. they are a very popular mm-hmm. thing. Behind glass, <laughs> <laughs> when you pull them out, it's like whoa. So let's talk about why they are scary. Okay. okay. Well, to start with, we'll, we'll piggyback on the idea you've already introduced: the fact that they've been around forever, uh-huh. and most of the time we have very positive associations mm-hmm. with them. Yeah, I used to when I was a kid. I used to pretend they. The, I I was doing Toy Story before. Toy Story came mm-hmm. out. I was convinced they came up to life at night, but not in a mean way. In like a fun, yeah. Just let's just all have a little playtime together. Yeah. So I named so them all. Yes, using yeah. your imagination. That's yep. what we do with dolls, yep. right? We create our little stories. Yep. Well, it's been going on forever. They had a numerous examples. I picked just a couple to share, but. Back in the times of ancient Egypt, there were wooden paddle dolls that they would, they know they had them because they found them buried in ancient Egyptian burial grounds in tombs dating back to the 2000 BC. So we know they've been around for ages and ages. In Germany, clay dolls came into existence in the 13th century. They had French fashion dolls that were really popular in the 14th century, which I looked this up because like, what's a fashion doll? Instead of mannequins like we have nowadays where they'll dress them up so you can see the clothing. Yeah. They had these little dolls where they would display the clothing that was popular at the time so people could see it. Kind of like a 
Barbie doll? But like if a Barbie Basically, doll was wearing like a Bratz doll or something yeah. that had not, you know, not with the same makeup. Makeup, yes. But that idea of um, kind of a, it wasn't as small as a Barbie. It was a little bigger mm-hmm. and it had like the full outfit. And I guess mainly women, because the ones I saw were dresses. Maybe they have them for men as well. But you could see how the outfit looked. You could decide I want to order mannequin. that. Yes, exactly. Paper so, dolls too. Paper dolls. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Yeah. They're across every culture. And most of the time we think of them with the most positive associations because one of the biggest purposes is they serve as companions. They were forms of entertainment back when people really didn't have a lot of things to play with. Kids didn't have a lot of things to play with. One article mentioned that if you do a quick Google search of doll museums, you'll find there are more than 40 museums across the U.S. that are dedicated to dolls. I mean, they're popular. Yeah. But... What makes them so scary in movies? Because it is a real fear. They even have a name for a phobia. Like if you're that afraid of dolls, it's called pediophobia. But this clinical psychologist named Kate Wolitsky-Taylor, who was interviewed for Prevention Magazine, she said that this phobia is so rare. Really? Yes. That are truly afraid of dolls. That are, in order for it to be a phobia, it has to be debilitating. It has to be something that affects your life. Gotcha. And so she... She has never encountered anybody in all her years of practice who truly had it as a phobia. Gotcha. But there are a lot of people who don't like them, who find them scary. So Unsettling. mm Mm-hmm. And the same lady who, by the way, has a PhD and is a faculty member in the Department of Psychiatry and Biobehavioral Sciences at UCLA, she went on to make the point that she says people aren't born being afraid of dolls. Many kids like them. What she says, I'm going to paraphrase now, is that we're conditioned to dislike them. To dislike them mm. because of how they are portrayed in pop culture. When you see Chucky and Annabelle or, you know, like they come up in little TV shows mm-hmm. and they're portrayed as being creepy, mm-hmm. maybe it's posters, you know, who knows? And especially if they add suspenseful music yeah. with it and you start to associate it with all your senses, yeah. you start to think these are scary things. These are negative things. Mm-hmm. And so it's conditioned. Here is her actual quote. You begin to associate the fear you absorb from specific fear-inducing situations with other dolls, even those that are seemingly innocent. This consistent pairing of dolls with other creepy, scary stimuli may lead to experiencing fear or nervousness when confronted with a doll or an image of a doll. Learning is a big factor, whether it's a direct learning experience or vicarious learning through others. Mm. One theory is we've learned to become afraid of them. And it's not as though this is an either or. These these obviously several of these theories could apply, but I thought I would share a few more that might okay. help explain why people are afraid of dolls. This I thought was fascinating. I came across this theory that was proposed in 1970 by a Japanese roboticist named Masahiro Mori. And he called his theory the uncanny valley. I have heard this phrase before. Oh, okay. What do you know about it? No, I want you to tell me. I've heard the phrase before and I think what it means is it's realistic, but just left of realistic. Yes, you nailed it. I did. Yes. Now he he was focused in on robotics because that uh-huh. was his field, but the same idea as I describe it, you're going to see how it could also relate to Why dolls. Why is it called uncanny valley? Well, I can't tell you like why he chose Chose that that specific term, but I think if I describe what it is, it'll make a little bit of sense. Mm -hmm. So again, you were really dead on, I think. 
he said that if things like robots or dolls are very human-like, it actually appeals to us. We are attracted to things that are like us. Sure, that are, okay. But, I'm going to quote from the article. However, Mari noticed there is an exception to this. At a point... If an artificial agent becomes too much like a human, then this kind of affinity or likability reverses and creates feelings of eeriness or even repulsion. And that became known as the uncanny valley theory. In this valley, a robot looks enough like a human to feel familiar, but at the same time, it is fundamentally different, Mm. sparking an uncomfortable feeling which marks this robot as seeming strange. Like soulless, maybe? It looks like a human, but it looks like it's lacking a soul. So you're like, something's wrong here okay you just jumped us to a whole different theory no let's go ahead and talk about that now i'm going to come back to the uncanny valley in a second you just took us to sigmund freud back in 1919 this is like 50 years before the uncanny valley theory he wrote an article where he sigmund freud did where he referred to a strange emotion that humans have that can be awakened by certain objects Mm -hmm. And when he was talking about that in this article, he said that this is something that comes about when we see this object and we have a doubt as to whether or not it possesses a soul. Oh. Yeah. And I think the idea here is often we wonder more about things that might look kind of close to human or might be more similar to maybe Mm -hmm. I I don't know that he thought about it with animals, but maybe he did, Mm -hmm. you know. So yes, that idea of wondering whether or not something has a soul. Interesting. Apparently is a potential reason why we fear dolls. But going back to this uncanny valley theory, as you said, when it seems as though it's really, really close to being human, then our brain kind of switches over. We start to kind of consider it as whatever this figure is, doll, robot, whatever, as a possible human. So you start to kind of go there with your brain. And then when this figure does something that is out of human character, then suddenly they become unnerving or creepy to you. Mm -hmm. They fail to meet the expectation that your brain has set up for them. So it's that idea of being attracted to something that's similar and something that's human and then being disturbed when you're like, oh, something is not right. Yes. I've met people like that. What? (laughs) What do you mean? I mean, I don't want to give away like a, I don't want to give away defining characteristics, but it's no one in my life. It's a doctor. Okay. Okay. So it's a a specialist that I had to go to. And when I went to this specialist, again, I'm not going to name them, but I went, I won't, (laughs) I went to this specialist and they were so so uber kind and uber friendly and everyone in the office it felt like I was in one of those Stepford wives I felt like I was in a Stepford wife they were all smiling like we love it here we love our job (laughs) and I thought oh my gosh this person may end up being a murderer one day. I literally had, and there was no reason, absolutely no reason for me to think this. Everything looked as though it was one of those movies when one of the, the people first walks in in the office and everything looked as though this is perfect. Uh, this is a beautiful place to be. And I could not get out of there fast enough. So it seemed like everything was a facade. Yes. You didn't feel like it was real. Yes. I didn't feel like the person that, that I was going to see was who they were presenting themselves mm, to be. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Uncanny Valley. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a little interesting side note. This theory, this Uncanny Valley idea, apparently does not apply to young children. And here's why they think that is. 
a quote from that same psychologist. Children are also drawn to toys that replicate real-life scenarios in which they have seen caregivers engage in, such as dolls, tools, kitchen sets, etc. There's a good chance that a toddler-aged child chooses a doll to play with because it resembles the child in multiple ways, the hair, the height, etc. Oh, okay. Therefore, the child is drawn to this toy because it is actually more familiar than it is creepy. So they're not going to notice the things that are off. They're going to be really keyed into the familiar. And they're going to treat the doll like the adult treats them, right? They're going to be the adult in the situation. Most of the the time. Yes, most of the time. Now, this led to something that I thought was hysterically funny. What? I don't know if you saw this, but it did go viral. There was a mom who posted on social media about her three-year-old who the mom had taken this little girl to the Halloween store because I think it was around Halloween time, Mm -hmm. obviously. And this little toddler fell in love with a doll that mom calls Creepy Chloe. It's from the Halloween store. It was meant to be like a disturbing, yes, creepy, scary doll. And this little girl attached to it and was carrying it everywhere. Uh And it was the most hysterical thing because you could see the pictures and you were just like, I mean, like its (laughs) eyes would glow red. Like it looked terrible. And this little girl would be cheesing, holding her doll. And there was the whole story where she took it to Disney and some of the workers there thought it was so hysterical that they started getting like little free meals and stuff because, (laughs) because it was like attention grabbing yeah everybody was like keyed into this yes so creepy chloe cute little funny story all right just to kind of wrap this up i'll give you one last theory about why we might find dolls creepy there was apparently an international study where researchers surveyed more than a thousand people about general creepiness and one of the things that they decided you know when they analyzed the survey results was that ambiguity when something is open to more than one interpretation is a big factor that can trigger feelings of fear Mm. so if you see a doll this is what they say in this article or a clown maybe in a scary movie it can provoke fear because it may not seem dangerous it's just sitting over there on the shelf but there's something unpredictable about it you're feeling this sense of ambiguity like is it bad is it good you know is it gonna move is it gonna this is this last theory that it's just the ambiguity itself that might kind of cause the fear there you go so there you go ashley we have now finished talking about my research on the dolls why don't we take a quick break and come back and talk about clowns (laughs) people can brace themselves <laughs> do you love tea? Do you love entertainment? Do you love listening to stories from your two new BFFs? Then consider joining the club over at buymeacoffee.com. For $5 per month, you can be a part of the 1939 Club, otherwise known as the Golden Year of Cinema. When Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Stagecoach of Mice and Men, Wuthering Heights, Hound of the Baskervilles, The Little Princess, Babes in Arms, Goodbye Mr. Chips, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and of course, The Wizard of Oz were released. Perks include a 5% discount on new merchandise, a shout out for new members, an opportunity to be listed as a supporter in show notes, and exclusive access to bonus content. However, if you're feeling doubly generous, you can join the 1993 Club, otherwise known as the greatest year of cinema. This is the year that Schindler's List, The Sandlot, The Fugitive, Rudy, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Sleepless in Seattle, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Mrs. Doubtfire, Grumpy Old Men, and of course, Jurassic Park were released. Additional perks in this club include a 10% discount on Scandal Water merchandise, the opportunity to record a shout-out of your own, and the chance to 
vote in our guaranteed content poll, along with the warm and sunny feeling that you're supporting your besties. If clubbing isn't your thing, there's a one-time gift option too. Either way, those who support Scandalwater report fewer bad hair days, more green lights and traffic, and a grander sense of purpose and wonder at least once per day. Scandalwater, we do the research so you don't have to. Actually, you said you are not afraid of clowns. Is that right? That's correct. Have you seen clowns in any movies, TV shows, or whatever that you felt were kind of frightening? No, which is probably why I'm not afraid of clowns. Okay. Because I haven't watched anything that makes them look scary. Well, let me ask you a different question. Do you remember the clown panics of 2016? Yes. Wait a minute. What happened? Weren't there clowns just showing up in random places? Mm-hmm. And it was spooking people out. It was bad. Yeah. Like there, it was kind of crazy. It was weird. And it wasn't some kind of promotional thing for it? No. No. I've never seen it, was it either. So that's probably another reason. Really? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I That's how I don't get afraid of some candy <laughs> is I just watch. don't watch them. Did yes. you watch Poltergeist? No. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 I did not. No, I don't. I don't need to. They're here. No, 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 no. Because you, you know what? They're here and I'm not. They're here and I'm not. Because tops of my list is aliens. I don't want to. No, no. Oh. No, no. We're going to do an episode on aliens one of these days. Yes, just to see me. I okay. do not want them to visit me. I don't want them to abduct me. I don't want to talk about them or look at them. No. All no. right. Future episode right yes. here. I'd rather be attacked by a dinosaur than, than abducted by an alien. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay. That is. Wow. Mm-mm. Unexpected. Strong. Strong, strong, right, strong, strong feelings. feelings for the little gray people. <laughs> no, you are not my leader. Oh, all right. Well, back to clowns. Remember, I warned you guys. I went down rabbit trails. Mm-hmm. We're about to go down a little rabbit trail because I had to follow this 2016 okay. clown yes, panic tell me about a little it. bit. So here you go. There was a People Magazine article that was published in 2016, just a few months after that panic had started to kind of settle down. And they were talking about reasons behind the panic. And they interviewed this man named... The reasons behind the panic is because people were dressing up like clowns and standing in places and looking Basically, weird. Basically, you're right. <laughs> they were just looking weird. Benjamin had a little more to say about it, okay. but you've kind I've of summed it up. summarized it. Yes. Well, Benjamin Radford was a folklorist who actually wrote a book called Bad Clowns, and he started analyzing it. He said there are different types of clowns. One of them is stalker clowns, mm. which are these prankish but menacing figures who can turn up in parking lots or parks or wherever, but they actually turn out to be someone who's just dressing up, whether it's a stunt or whether it's publicity mm-hmm. it's just they're it's just, just standing there yeah. looking weird it's just a prank okay but then there are phantom clowns what? who are often reported or seen they put that in quotes by children and supposedly these clowns phantom clowns are reported to be trying to lure or abduct oh, no. these those children. are the ice cream clowns mm-hmm. right they're like in the little ice cream trucks yes no. and they're often but they're often seen near wooded areas oh okay Well, in 2016, there really were people who were feeding the frenzy by dressing up as stalker clowns, either because they were trying to prank somebody Mm -hmm. else or they wanted the attention. Mm -hmm. And he said that the appeal of being a stalker clown is really simple. He said that being creepy, just dressing up and standing there but not really doing anything else is not technically illegal. And therefore, he called it a low-risk, high-reward stunt because it's virtually guaranteed, at least during this time, it was virtually guaranteed to make low local or national news, but Mm. you weren't going to get arrested for it. And you just spooked a bunch of people out. Yeah. 
Exactly. And a note they made in the article was that almost every time, even during this 2016 panic, the stalker clowns were were harmless. There Mm -hmm. were only a few incidents where people supposedly either started chasing somebody or might have assaulted somebody. And they're not even sure if those were true because people were saying things that were not always necessarily accurate. So to summarize, he said stalker clowns, in those situations, the people are real, but the threat is generally fake. Now, with the phantom clowns, during this 2016 panic, there were lots of stories, usually reported by kids, of these clowns who were trying to lure them away with money or candy. So if that's the case, then both the threat and the people were real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, he said this was not really what was happening. Here's his quote. The fact is, to date, there are no confirmed reports of any clowns actually abducting, harming, killing, or molesting kids. What about They're... John Wayne Gacy? No, no, no. This is oh. in the 2016 oh, okay, panic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There are there just aren't. Okay. There are zero. Okay. So because the reports and these sightings were feeding the panic, he felt like one of the biggest threats during this time was the chance of overreaction. Like the frenzy was getting so big that there was a case, for example, where local residents were firing into the woods what? because they thought these reported clowns were in there. And so he was afraid that it was going to actually People are gonna cause, get killed. Yes, yes. cause the harm. So he talked about a few contributing factors to the panic. He says panics like these are more likely to happen during a time of social uncertainty, which he said we had in 2016. And then once the rumors about clowns started, he said there was kind of this psychological thing happening, uh, which is called priming, where because this rumor, this idea is in your mind. It's like priming a pump. Yes, you start to make connections. You yeah. Start to see things yeah. even if they're not there. Yeah. Because you're you're primed to. Then another factor contributing to this was eyewitness testimony. But he goes on to say it's well documented to be not so great, right? A lot of times, whether people are intentionally lying or they just misremember, uh-huh. there are mistakes all over the place. Yeah. And some people were during this panic intentionally lying. And then, of course, the fourth factor that he mentioned was media attention that really helped to spread and fan the flames. Mm -hmm. So that's the 2016 panic with the clowns. Right. And I was fascinated by it. I liked the psychology behind it. But I also wanted to mention it because I was thinking if you weren't already afraid of clowns. You would be then. That would affect it. That would do it. Right there. That would do it. I'm going back to what Our Lady said in the last segment where she said you are conditioned. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to become fearful of certain things. And I think the 2016 panic, especially for some young children, that might be mm-hmm. this now influential childhood memory for them. That they're going to be scared of clowns forever. Yes, exactly. But the fear of clowns obviously goes way, way, way back, way before then. So let's talk about that. There is a name for having a phobia of clowns. Bozophobia. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Good guess. No. No. Uh, it's callrophobia, but the same as Named we for said. Carl the Clown, right? Actually, it's spelled C-O-U-L-R-O. Oh, Carl, but, Carl the Clown. But just like we said with the phobia of dolls, there really are very few people that have it. Mm-hmm. It has to be debilitating and something that interferes with your daily life if it's going to be considered a phobia. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2019, there was a Time article that was published that explored this idea of why people are afraid of clowns. And for their article, they interviewed Dr. Ramey. Nader, who is a registered
registered psychologist practicing at Vancouver's North Shore Stress and Anxiety Clinic. And he said that the fear of clowns often stems from that feeling of not knowing what's going on in the mind of the person behind the face paint or the Mm. mask. So here's his quote. Clowns faces are disguised. They have these large artificial displays of emotion. Mm -hmm. So you have a clown with a painted face and a big smile, but you don't really know what they're actually feeling. There's this inherent mistrust that what they're presenting to you isn't what they're actually feeling. It's kind of back to the uncanny valley. It makes me think of your story with the The person, the medical person. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to kind of piggyback on that, the disguise itself might be part of the problem. In a documentary that we're going to come back to later, it's actually going to factor into our armchair. Looking forward to this. Oh, gosh. But in, in this documentary, there was a quote where they said, they were talking about a clown. We know there's a human underneath and yet you don't know their identity. Mm. That creeps people out. It's a mask. Mm-hmm. But... I found some of the best articles. Time Magazine, Smithsonian, both of these had great articles that had so much information. We could do a whole episode just on clowns. This Smithsonian article was called The History and Psychology of Clowns Being Scary. Mm. It had some great stuff. So I want to give both of those sources a shout out, pulled from other things as well. But here we go. According to Frank T. McAndrew, a professor of psychology at Knox College, he says that clowns have a long history of being suspicious. Here is suspicious. Suspicious. Have a long history of being suspicious. That's <laughs> just funny to me. Okay, sorry. Well, he says, quote, some of the very first clowns were the court jesters mm. who poked fun at kings and made people in high places uncomfortable. That's why they exist. They're designed to make people afraid. If you go all the way back to the beginning of clownhood, they've always been bad. They're pranksters. They play tricks. Huh. Another fellow who chimed in on this, he was part of the article as well, was David Kaiser, who is a director of talent for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Mm-hmm. He didn't take quite as hard as stands. I bet. But he also commented about court jesters and he said, yes, they've always been about fun, but he said part of their fun has been, quote, a bit of mischief. Uh, So again, that idea of mistrust. Right. Just mistrust. Now, this Smithsonian article spent a huge amount of time on a man named Joseph Grimaldi. Do you know who that is? Grimaldi. I feel like I know that last name. Why do I know that last name? Keep talking. Well, in this same Smithsonian article, they called him the first recognizable ancestor of the modern clown, sort of the homo erectus of clown evolution. Hmm. And he is the reason why clowns, some clowns today are still called joeys. I did not know that. This is Joseph Grimaldi. And he, it was in the early 1800s when he was practicing his clown art. He was so popular, people said that an ape of the population of London had seen him on stage. That's amazing. Yeah, everybody. He was like huge. He put the clown in the spotlight and because of his performance and the identity he created, he changed the way clowns looked and acted. Here's a quote from the article. Before him, a clown may have worn makeup, but it was usually just a bit of rouge on the cheeks to heighten the sense of them being florid, funny drunks, or rustic yokels. Uh Uh-huh. 
Grimaldi, however, suited up in bizarre, colorful costumes, stark white face paint punctuated by spots of bright red on his cheeks and topped with a blue mohawk. He was a master of physical comedy. He leapt in the air, stood on his head, fought himself in hilarious fisticuffs that had audiences rolling in the aisles, as well as of satire lampooning the absurd fashions of the day, comic impressions, and ribald songs. Nice. So, like, he's the precursor to the modern town. Yeah, well, there's more. He's super interesting. It went on to explain that here was his public persona, but his personal life was really dark. Like it was sad. It was sad. He'd grown up with a stage father who was a tyrant. He dealt with bouts of depression his whole life. His first wife died during childbirth. His son was an alcoholic clown who drank himself to death by the time he was 31. And because of all of the physical acrobatics that Grimaldi did all the time, it left him in constant pain and they used the term prematurely disabled. He would make a joke all the time to his audiences where he would say, I am grim all day, but I make you laugh at night. So apparently even his audiences recognized that his real life and his public persona did not necessarily align. Now, here's where the scary clown part comes in. After he died, penniless and an alcoholic in 1837, Mm. you're going to like this. I am. A young Charles Dickens Ah. was hired. He was given the job of editing Grimaldi's memoirs. He had already, Dickens had already included a tragic clown in his 1836 work, The Pickwick Papers. Uh In that serialized novel, he has an off-duty clown, which was supposedly inspired by Grimaldi's son, Mm. whose drunkenness and his ghastly, wasted body were in contrast with his white face paint and his clown costume. So he already had that clown character, and now he's working on Grimaldi's life story, and here's where he really brought home his theme of this tragic clown. So this man named Andrew McConnell Stott, who wrote a 2009 biography called The Pantomime Life of Joseph Grimaldi, said that Dickens' version brought out how, quote, for every laugh he wrought from his audiences, Grimaldi suffered commensurate pain. And then he goes on to say in the article that to his mind, Dickens invented the scary clown by creating a figure who is literally destroying himself to make his audiences laugh. That's sad, though. That's not scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it is sad. But but I think it's also that idea of this tragic figure who is not who he seems to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Dickens' version of Grimaldi's memoirs was incredibly popular, which, according to this author, Stott, meant that this perception of something dark and troubled masked by humor would stick. Like this became something that came across the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. So The tears of a clown. Yes. Yes. So skipping through a lot of information over the years, clowns continued to change. In the early 19th century, circus clowns were very popular. Even though we continued to have sad, troubled clowns like the American hobo clowns, mm-hmm. the most famous that they named was probably Weary Willie, this character that was created by Emmett Kelly, that, that hobo clown. Mm-hmm. If you see the picture, you'll recognize it. According to Smithsonian, however, his Weary Willie was born out of actual tragedy, the breakup of his marriage, and American 
America's sinking financial situation in the 1930s. Mm. Then, around the 1960s, clowns started to get featured on TV a lot, and they really started honing in on this purpose of entertaining children. There was Clarabelle the Clown on Howdy Doody. You mentioned Bozo the Clown. Yeah, I did. Yes. (laughs) And even Ronald McDonald came yeah. out as the representative for McDonald's. Yeah. So by the late 1900s, clowns really were very closely associated with children. Mm-hmm which meant that people also were really associating them kind of with that idea of innocence. Mm -hmm. And the article points out that because of this association with children and innocence, it made it really appealing for filmmakers and story writers. To to, make them bad. Yep, (laughs) exactly, for shock value. Yeah. You also kind of gave us a little preview of the next part, I'm going to say. It. Actually, no. What? John Wayne Gacy. Oh, yeah, gross. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share what you know about that? No, I don't want to talk about him. He's he's terrible. Yeah. But I mean, we have to talk about him, but like... Well, he definitely gave the clowns a terrible, terrible... name. Terrible name, yes. So around the same time that you had Bozo over here at the height of his popularity entertaining all these children who adored him, mm-hmm. John Wayne Gacy was out there doing awful, awful things. He was a man who did hold down a day job, but he was also a registered clown who would entertain people at community events using the name Pogo. And between 1972 and 1978, he sexually assaulted and killed more than 35 young men in the Chicago Mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. And when he was caught, he told investigating officers, quote, you know, clowns can get away with murder. Ew. Mm -hmm. He didn't actually get away with it. Mm -hmm. He was found guilty of 33 counts of murder and he was executed in 1994, but he had become identified as the killer clown. Yeah. And one of the interesting side notes was that while he was in prison, he began painting and a lot of his paintings were of clowns, some of them self-portraits of himself as Pogo. No. I know. Now, at the same time that people were hearing about these awful, awful crimes that he was committing. It was also around the same time that America was experiencing this growing awareness of stranger danger. Yeah. So that yeah. translated into more fear and suspicion of people in costumes well. and yes. masks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then that brings us back to what we said a second ago, those filmmakers and story writers who decided to latch Let's on to this idea. Let's make it worse. Mm-hmm. Let's just make it worse. This is going to be great. Yeah. going to love it. <laughs> so Poltergeist has... Is Poltergeist got a clown in it? It is does. It, what? It's, Why? It's kind of like a clown doll that moves and and it, the, the little boy, I think if I recall correctly, it's been a long time, but I think one of the kids, the little boy is scared of it and then it ends up being a justified fear. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I thought it was just little things coming through the tv oh there's so much more Mm-mm. to that oh i'll never oh. know i will never <laughs> ever know nope i will continue to be in the dark my entire life happily happily not okay. in the dark because that scares me but like you know what yeah, I mean. yes, yes metaphorically in the dark <laughs> well that one came out in 1982 and then it was published in 1986 and by 1990 it was a tv miniseries so now you've got lots of scary yeah. clowns out there within the course of like five years and in the in the meantime in 1988 there was a b movie which was a hit called killer clowns from, from outer, outer space, space. Yes. you know this i think brian has it oh my goodness okay i've not seen it but yes yeah alien clowns on a murderous you know rampage. why alien alien clowns oh, no thank you okay it's no. not the clowns you can you can <laughs> yes. handle the murderous yes. clowns but don't make them aliens. don't make them aliens <laughs> too far you've gone too far 
Oh, that's funny. And then Simpsons, they brought in Krusty the Clown, who's not really scary, nah. but he's a really hard, he's a hardened, jaded hardened man. character. That was 1989 when he first appeared in this Simpsons So the short. 80s were not kind to the clown people. No, they really weren't. And, and then it went on from there. We can't list them all. But that's really, I think, where they started to build their scary um, identity on TV and, and film. Mm-hmm. Well, several experts went on in this article to say it's kind of sad where clowns were such a positive, yeah. beloved thing yeah. for They've so long. It. The positive associations have been replaced by negative ones. They said attendance at clown conventions and workshops are way down. People are not wanting to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And the concept of clowning, it, it just doesn't even have that fun, yeah. uplifting feel. Cirque du Soleil is probably doing a little bit to change that because they have clowns in there. Do they? Yeah. Okay. And they're nice. Okay, I saw one Cirque du Soleil performance, which was focused on the Beatles, and I'm trying to remember. We saw the one at Disney World. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. So they would have been nice anyway. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this survey from 2008 seems to support the idea that clowns have really taken a hit. We said clowns are associated primarily with entertaining children, especially in the last, I don't know, 50 or so years. But in this survey, which has been talked about quite a bit, it was was conducted by the University of Sheffield in England. They surveyed 250 children between the ages of 4 and 16 and found out that most of them disliked or even feared images of clowns. Even the four-year-olds? That's what they said. I mean, th- I mean, who knows how many were yeah. in each age level, but they analyzed this survey, and one of the people who did that, a child psychologist, stated, very few children like clowns. They are unfamiliar and come from a different era. They don't look funny. They just look odd. Mm. Now, on the flip side, remember, that was only 250 children, mm-hmm. and it was one area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that. But... It does seem to be kind of a prevailing idea. However, the Smithsonian article, on a positive note, gave us a little something hopeful. They said there is some research that shows clowns can have a positive impact on the health of sick children. Oh, yeah, like the Shriners? Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. There was a January 2013 issue of the Journal of Health Psychology. And in that, they published an Italian study that found out in this little research controlled trial that they did that the presence of a therapy clown could reduce preoperative anxiety in children who were going to have minor surgery and another Italian study that was carried out in 2008 and was published in December of 2011 in this natural medicine journal they found that children hospitalized for respiratory illnesses got better faster after they had played with therapeutic clowns interesting okay so they can Mm -hmm. be good yes so that brings us to the end of our portion on clowns clowning around armchair psychologist and so now i'm going to share with you what what are you gonna do our armchair oh gosh you, right. look, you look too amused <laughs> i'm not sure i like i'm this. waiting for your reaction oh gosh what because is it because i think this is gonna appall you oh no what <laughs> so as i was researching yeah i came across a 2019 documentary about a fella called wrinkles the clown have you heard of him no all right <laughs> He is a man from Florida. I don't know how old he is now. I'm sure he's in his low 70s, but he was 69 at the time of this documentary. And he was working as a creepy clown for hire. What? 
People hired this man to show up in a terrifying clown suit to scare people, including their children, no. their own children. Ew, and no. back in 2015, he told the Washington Post that he got hundreds of phone calls a day requesting his services. Now, I don't know if we'll want to play this trailer for our listeners, okay. but I'm going to pause for a second to at least let you watch it okay. and, and maybe we'll share a little piece of it. Okay. I found out about Wrinkles through a news story. Meet Southwest Florida's Wrinkles the Clown. Hi, Wrinkles. I'm a reporter at the Washington Post. I'm a reporter at the Naples Daily News. I've just seen your story blow up online. You can call him. He'll scare people for you. Oh, you'll bring Wrinkles the Clown. You're scaring the people to defend themselves. I'll take this baseball bat you don't know if he's trying to do this for fun or trying to kill you. It's like a boogeyman situation. Oh my god! We know that there's a human underneath, and yet you don't know his identity, and that creeps people out. You better be afraid of Ring. He's real. By calling him, you're essentially inviting him in into your life. It's like a vampire. You've invited him in. What is that? Oh. No, ma'am. <laughs> That is wrong. That makes me think of Michael Myers from no. Halloween. Mm-mm. All right, I'm. That man's gonna get murdered. Well, and I think that's part of it. And there's, there he is. Yeah, no one was hiring me when I was just a regular clown. I just thought, yeah, you know, maybe I'll give it a little edge. Of course, that's what his voice sounds like. All right, I'm gonna stop it there. So, what are your thoughts, Ashley? <laughs> you were correct. I am appalled. <laughs> that man is gonna get murdered. It, he, it, it's frightening. Of course, this was several years ago. I'm, I'm sure he probably is alive and well. I don't know if he's still doing that. I mean, obviously, I was doing my research, came across uh-huh. a documentary, and I just uh-huh. that's as far as I got. But yes, I think there is the very real fear for his safety. And, and there's definitely controversy around this. Yes. But there's also the concern for the people that he's they have a heart performing attack. for. One yes. of those clips he was in the in somebody's like day bed and there was a trundle underneath and he came out from the trundle. That person could just have a heart attack. Yes. Oh so that's what I wanted to ask you. What are your thoughts about feeding off people's fears? That's horrible. I think it's horrible. Don't do it. Yeah. This is really damaging, psychologically damaging people. And it's not worth it to be funny. It's just mm-hmm. not. No, 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 no. And and is it funny? No, like, like, it's not. Right, it's cruel. It's cruel it? humor. Yes. It's yes. cruel humor. And it's like the, the, I don't like pranks. I hate pranking. I hate the April Fool's Day pranking stuff. I just think it's unkind. I don't like unkind humor. That is unkind humor. I will judge it. I try not, We try not to be judgy here. I am judging that. I don't mm-hmm. like it. And I, I mean, just to kind of piggyback on what you said, I think there is a difference. I think there are some really innocent, simple, little funny pranks. Sure. But not the unkind, cruel. Not the cruel. I do believe this could be psychologically yes. damaging to some people. I believe some people could get hurt. That kind of fear could cause you to run in front of a car yes. or to like attack the person who's coming at you. Yes. Or who knows? Like that did did not strike me as anything that is okay. No. Why would any parents call him? Why would the parents do that to their own children? Yes. Mm-mm. 
No. And you saw on the little trailer that there were some interviews with, they were young kids. Why would you take a job from a 13-year-old? Right. You know, I, that doesn't seem None right None of either. this sounds healthy or good or is going to help the clown reputation to get redeemed. It's just not good. It was sad to me. I don't, again, I'm basing everything off a two-minute trailer here. I don't know this man's full story. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the trailer, he says something about not being able to find any work when he was just a normal clown. Mm-hmm. And now he's getting hundreds of calls a day. So. So it's but sad. he could even possibly fulfill hundreds of calls a day. Right, true. But I guess my thought is it's sad to me if he's really trying to support himself because mm-hmm. he is an older gentleman mm-hmm. and that's the only way he, he could do it. I like don't that's like that. yeah, that's not that's not good. But let's broaden it for a second. Okay. Like we're sitting here looking at one specific example, but just in general, like our whole episode has been around things that really scare people mm-hmm. or that, you know, that idea of fear. Mm-hmm. What about other things people fear. We know this person happens to be afraid of spiders and yeah. you, you put uh, a fake spider in their drawer. Like, what are things like that okay? No. It's never okay to take advantage of somebody's, especially if someone has trusted you enough to say and been vulnerable enough mm-hmm. to say, I am afraid of this. That's a very vulnerable thing to sit out there and, and tell someone what mm-hmm. makes you scared. And then for them to immediately take advantage of it and to use it to mock you or to give you a jolt. There's something called immersion therapy where you're trying to face your fears Mm -hmm. that's different because the other person agrees to it and they say yes I want you to do this because I'm trying to get over a fear but if I say to you like Candy if I said to you I'm aliens make me nervous I don't like them and then you turn around and like beam lights into my bedroom Mm -hmm. we are not going to be friends (laughs) for very much longer no that's not kind yeah I agree and it shows our human nature, right? I mean, I've seen some of the video clips where they will post on social media where somebody will hide behind mm-hmm. door frames mm-hmm. or, or the couch or the refrigerator and jump out and scare somebody. And I've laughed. Yeah, I'll sure, laugh at sure. that, which is, is not nice either because it really is scaring that person. But did somebody say, I'm terrified of people jumping out? No, usually people mm-hmm. don't say that. But if they did, you wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. That's just giving them a little. And usually the person will go, they'll scream and then they'll laugh. Mm-hmm. That's different right yeah if they're kind of in on the joke yes. and it's funny to them too but I think I'm uh, the point you made is resonating with me because I'm thinking it's really not funny if somebody is genuinely terrified of something and I purposely scare them with that thing who's it funny like first of all why how is that what does that show about me that mm-hmm. I find that so amusing mm-hmm. they're not gonna ever they're think not that's gonna funny, think it's funny no. right and now the our relationship took a little strained yeah well I enjoyed our episode on, on <laughs> It's very enlightening. Elements that cause fear. It was so fun. It was. Well, this is a tricky one because Mm -hmm. we don't really have any sort of hero or central Mm -hmm. figure that emerges. But I'm thinking, what about... Joseph Grimaldi. I was thinking he Grimaldi broke, too. He broke some ground. Mm-hmm. He he clearly had a very tragic life, yeah. which is sad. Yeah. But at the same time, this was a person who changed his industry, mm-hmm. who entertained so many people, mm-hmm. and he definitely suffered for his art. He did, and he seemed like he was a nice guy. So cheers to you, Joseph Grimaldi. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website 
www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandal Water community through our Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandal Water Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.